Good morning. Good morning. I didn't say hello to everybody. Good morning. I didn't see you all this morning. It's nice to be here with you all and uh, to see the blessing of the Lord among you. Um, it's very encouraging to see the Spirit of God working. And uh, we live in incredible times. We live in times where God has brought forth the promises for which He called Abraham from out of the nations, that He might impart the Holy Spirit of God to people like us through faith in Christ. And so we, we trust and we pray together with you that the Spirit of God has His way with you all here in this fellowship of believers that meet at Boulevard Bible Chapel. So it's, it's great to be with you all and to see these things. I'm thankful to the Lord uh, to see how He's brought other people, Max and his family, so thankful for their testimony and what God has done in their lives and He's committed uh, believers like this to your care. So it's, it's exciting. I thank the Lord. I give Him the glory. And uh, we want to express our gratitude for your prayers and your thoughts. Uh, one of the last occasions we were with you all, uh, we had been in prayer about visiting. We visited uh, a few countries in Africa and praying about uh, possibly serving the Lord in that capacity. And we want to just let you know, again, we're thankful for your thoughts and prayers and at the moment, we believe that the Lord would have us to wait. Um, and the message that we receive from the Lord is not now. And so <clears throat> we're going to continue to pray. In the meantime, uh, like so many of us here, we have our hands so full with, with uh, happy and go lucky children uh, that uh, keep us on our toes and uh, with another fellowship of believers in the Apopka area. So um, thank you again for your prayers and uh, continue to pray with us so the Lord would have his way. Um, this morning, what I'd like to do is, and, and this is something that um, we have to do periodically, don't we? We have to raise the alarm. We have to raise the alarm from time to time because we have to remind the people of God that there are real, potent, active enemies to the souls of men, to the people of God. And we need to be mindful of that, and we need to draw attention to that. Because the reality is, as, as I mentioned here at the beginning, <clears throat> there is incredible spiritual activity going on throughout all this world. And the reality is, if, if you're a, a person just like I am, from time to time, we make the mistake of taking these things for granted. And we make the mistake of of really not uh, being appreciative, not being sensitive to what's going on around us. There are many portions of the scriptures that we can look at where there are spiritual or that there is spiritual activity going on and that are not seen. We can point to Balaam and the things that they did to try to curse the children of Israel as they went on their way to the promised land. We can talk about the things that were revealed to Daniel where spiritual forces were coming to his aid and yet were withheld, were stopped by the prince of Persia. Think all, many of these references, time doesn't permit for us to go into them all. But the reality is that there is spiritual activity. <clears throat> We'd like to look in particular this morning at Satan. And of course, when we talk about Satan we are also speaking about the spiritual force that he represents. Because 
Um, he's spoken of by name, Lucifer, Satan, uh, the prince of this world. And he also, again, he, when we use those terms, we're speaking about not only him, that high cherub that rebelled, but also the angels that rebelled with him. And so the, we're speaking about the spiritual ill that works in our world. What do we know about Satan? Is he working in our world? <clears throat> Satan is a real entity. Seven books of the Old Testament refer to Satan. Uh, every New Testament writer refers to Satan. And 25 out of the 27 times that he's referred to in the gospel, he is referred to by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We say these things to cause us to pause and to take serious that we deal with an incredible, challenging entity in this world. What we'd like to do this morning is just explore a little bit about the schemes that he employs. And then we'd like to talk about his subduing or his subdual, just to try to keep things uh, here with the alliteration. So we'd like to look at some of his schemes and his subdual. So we're going to base ourselves in Genesis chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there. Genesis chapter 3. And while you're doing that, I'd like to look at at another reference in 2 Corinthians and hear what Paul the messenger had to say about Satan. And he says this in uh, 2 Corinthians 2.11. He says, we'll read, I'll read verse 10 just for context. Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive, for I indeed, for if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices, or we're not ignorant of his schemes. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 3, and we'd like to read uh, the event there of the rebellion of mankind there in the garden. And we'd just like to look at certain portions of that section as we explore Satan and his schemes. <clears throat> now it says this, now, I'm sorry, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, speaking of Eve, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? 
Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, I'm sorry, enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. We'll trust that the Lord will bless the reading of his word. And so, we've come to a very familiar portion of scripture. One that perhaps we've looked at many, many times. One that is very much filled with truth for us. How often we come back to the beginning and we see new things from the Lord there. It's it's incredible that the Spirit of God can put together such a short portion of narrative, of writing, and yet be so full of truth. And so, the first thing that we'd like to notice is that the scripture speaks of the serpent. And this is the way that this evil one has come to be known throughout all time. We'll read again in the book of Revelation when he raises up his ugly head. And when the world government, we were talking about some this morning, that is to come, that that he is behind The scripture says, that old serpent. And this is the name that he bears. This is the the icon that he bears. And the scripture tells us it is so because that particular creature had the most subtlety of all of the animals that God had made. And we cannot really overlook this fact. This is pointed out by Moses as he records this book of Genesis, and points that out. It is because of the subtlety of that creature that the evil one chose to employ him. And, you know, it says something about what he does, how he operates. You know, the scripture says that Satan is extremely persuasive. In Revelation chapter 12, this uh, this future occasion that I referred to a moment ago, it talks about that the, the dragon is able to, with his tail, swipe a third of the stars of heaven out of the skies. And we know that this symbolically is speaking about the angels that God had created. That he was able to convince a third of the angels of glory to follow him in his rebellion. Truly, Satan is persuasive. Truly, Satan is very subtle. We know that he does not try to counter the truth as much as he tries to pervert the truth. He sounds sometimes his logic, the the logic that the world embraces, sounds so close to the truth. In fact, he uses the truth at times. But the fact is that he is a liar. The Lord Jesus said he was, exposed him as such in John chapter 8. He is a liar Uh, and the father of it. And what he puts out, it's uh, very telling, isn't it, that he used a serpent because we know that the serpent is known for its venom, at least some of the more dangerous sort are known for the venom that they they eject or that they inject into their prey. And the same is, is true 
of what Satan puts out, what he tries to persuade men with. It is very destructive. It is very deadly. We cannot overlook his subtlety. And so we see the working of Satan here. And what I'd like to, I'd like to do is I'd like to look at a portion in Luke 22 where the Lord Jesus speaks directly about the activity of Satan. And then we'd like to go from that particular principle and come back and evaluate the happenings here in the garden. So in Luke 22, starting in verse 31, the Lord Jesus, now toward the end of his earthly ministry and approaching the cross, very quickly at this point in his life, he tells one of his close disciples about something that is about to happen, something that's looming on the horizon. And he tells him this in verse 31, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Interestingly enough, we'd like to consider the second part of this reference later on this evening when we think about another enemy of the soul, the flesh. But that for later on. Here the Lord Jesus made something clear to, to Peter. Satan wants you. And what is his objective? We'll notice that here it isn't that he might... Uh, persuade him with some lies, he says he wants to sift you as wheat. He wants to prove you. He's referring to that ancient practice of bringing in the grain and separating the grain from the chaff, from the parts of the grain or the parts of the plant that you do not want to eat. And the way that they did that as they tossed it in the air so that the breeze would take the particles that that they would not consume and what would remain would be the wheat that they were to consume. And so the Lord Jesus says, He wants you. This isn't the first time we've, we've heard this. We've, back in that ancient book of poetry about the life of a man called Job, we know that that ancient book starts by Satan saying that he wants to prove a man. He wants to have a certain limit of testing that man so that he might expose in his mind, he might expose to God that it's only the favor of God that keeps him faithful. We know how that goes. That is not true. That's not the case at all. Job stayed faithful. But what we see here is that Satan is not a passive agent in the lives of all mankind. He is not just an agent that's working in the higher circles of human affairs. He is an agent and those that work with him who seek to prove those who claim faith in God. In fact, that's what he did in the garden. In the garden, his test was a saint of the same nature as it was for Peter, as it was for Job. They were going, he was going to prove where their faith was. What did they have faith in? We know we often go to Genesis chapter 3 to take up that great issue about the problem of evil in our world. And can God be trusted? Is God a God of love with all the things that we see, the hurt and the pain and the disease and the suffering that we see in our world? 
Well, here they were, they're going to be tested with those questions. And the question is, the ultimate question is, could they trust God? Would they have faith that the God who had crowned them with glory and honor over this physical world, the God who had placed them in a beautiful garden, a God who had told them that of all the fruits of the, of the trees in the garden, they could have and they could have freely. Could that God be trusted? Could, would they exercise faith in that that God was good and that that God was love? They were to be tested as to what they thought. And we see where Satan immediately goes. Oh, this can't be overstated. This is where we must always go. As he begins his scheme on our ancient foremother, Eve. He begins to probe her. He begins to test her. And what is the nature of the test? The nature of the test is, what is her appreciation of God's word? We'll see here in the garden, there is the divergence. It will be the place where two worlds diverge. The world that listens to the word of God. And we'll see an emphasis in this passage as to the voice of God. The sound of the Lord God walking with them in the cool of the evening. We'll see an emphasis placed on the, on the expression of the word of God, the voice, the sound. And counter to it, we will see those that choose to live on the basis of sight. Satan challenges her and says, God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. Sadly, their mistake is that when their eyes were finally opened, the only thing they saw, they did not see glory. They did not see the greatness of freedom and liberation from God. The very first thing that struck their eyes was that they were naked and they were ashamed. And that is where we, that's where this world is headed. That is where this world under the sway of the evil one leads us. It leads us to shame. It leads us to be ashamed because we know because of the conscience that God has given to us that we have done something that is wrong, things that are sin, things that are evil. And today, if God has challenged your mind, your heart, if he's been working in your mind and heart, and you know that you are not right with God, and that you, like your ancient forefathers, sense the shame that cannot be pushed away, that it cannot be hidden. Oh, our forefathers, their eyes were open there in the garden. And they immediately ran to hide their shame. And they tried to cover their nakedness. And we know that it was a, a, a incapable and unsuitable covering for them. If you feel that same way, if God has been working in your heart and you feel that burden of shame and guilt, God can give you freedom today through Christ. God can liberate you through the work of the Lord Jesus. And we'd like to just take a moment as we're exploring this passage to challenge you today to cast yourself upon the living Christ who went to Calvary, who cried from that place, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me so that you might be accepted into the family of God? But we see the, the, the incredible activity there in the garden and where this all was going, what his objective was, was to test their faith 
What did they know about the word of God? Sadly, Eve fails miserably. And, and we might look at it and the, the failure appears to be so subtle. And, and you know, it might even be accused of splitting hairs. But the reality is that when Eve was probed as to her understanding of the word of God, if you look at it, you'll see that she adds to the word of God and she takes away from the word of God. She takes away freely and she adds to the word of God. It, it exposes how she felt about the word of God. And as Satan works in our lives to sift us as wheat, and the time will come, it is inevitable. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it will come. It is an, an inevitability that you will have to face the probing of Satan. We see that the most important thing is, where do we stand on the word of God? You know, the scriptures makes it clear in the New Testament. What we see here, those men were, uh, you know, came to appreciate later on when in Romans chapter 10, Paul can say, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we see the primacy of the word of God. And if you say that you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, ultimately somewhere down the line, Satan is going to prove your faith in the word of God. He is going to prove what you know about the Word of God, your appreciation of it, and whether you will hold firm to it. And you know, uh, thankfully, we live in a country that has an, an incredible amount of freedom and a lot of security, uh, and we thank the Lord for that. But there's also a danger, isn't it? Because we feel that you know there's no price tag for the truth. When we hear the preacher speak in the Proverbs that the truth is something that must be bought. Something that has a price tag. And I just want to challenge you today. The time will come. If you proclaim faith in Christ, the time will come when Satan will prove what your estimation of the Word of God is. What your appreciation of the Word of God is. And whether you will stand firm on it or not. These are part of his schemes. This is what he does. And so we want to challenge you. You know, we think about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but when we think about the defeat of Satan, isn't it interesting that when Satan is introduced to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, come from glory, the Savior had been 40 days fasting, and the Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit of God led him to meet Satan, Matthew chapter 4. So this meeting was designed by God. It was provoked by God. And when the Lord Jesus is brought forth to meet Satan, Satan begins to do his old, he's back to his old tricks. And he begins to probe our Savior. You know, he's looking at him. He's a man. He sees him. The scripture tells us that there was no comeliness about him that we should desire him. And what must have been his thoughts? as he looked upon the one who was his creator, here, now, in the form of a man. Man of very man. And he begins to, you know, he, he works his, his, uh, his trade, and he challenges the Lord Jesus, having fasted 40 days now, if you're hungry, turn the, these stones into bread. And it's interesting and instructive, isn't it? To hear the reply of the Lord Jesus. It is the heart of what we're talking about, isn't it? When he refers to the scriptures verbatim out of Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. When he's speaking about the hungering of the people of God who had been brought out of the land of Egypt 
Moses tells them when they get close to the land as he recounts the law and pens Deuteronomy, he tells them, God allowed you to hunger. Why? What was the objective? So that you might understand something. That man does not live by bread alone. Well then what does he live by? But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. That's the lesson. And here, the Lord Jesus on this encounter in Matthew chapter 4, rebukes Satan and tells him, Satan, I know, I understand your game. And the most important thing is the word of God. It is the most vital thing to the life of mankind. Do you believe that? Is that, is that the practice that you have in your life? I want to challenge you. Lord, help us be challenged by that. We are to be the people of the word of God. And we see the triumph of the Lord Jesus on that occasion when two more times being given so many things to see with his eyes just as our ancient forefathers were given to see. And yet the Lord Jesus verbatim challenges Satan out of Deuteronomy chapter 6 and rebukes him and tells him that the only one worthy of worship is God. But he knew the word of God. He loved the word of God. And he communicated that it was more than his daily food to him. We need to follow the example of the Lord Jesus. And so for a moment we've explored this idea about the schemes of Satan. There are numerous things we can look at in scripture. But just for this brief moment to be reminded that he will challenge us as to our appreciation and our faith in the word of God. A quick question. How, how far, what time frame am I supposed to finish? Okay, thank you brother. All right, because I thought I was already late. So anyway, okay, well, we're going to move on to his subdual because, you know, in the end of the day, the, the reality is we live in a very tragic world. We live in a world where millions upon millions of people are ushering into a lost eternity. We're dealing with an enemy who is, who is very triumphant, who is very, uh, uh, you know, achieving his ends. There are so many people going on to a lost eternity. And his schemes, they are working in this world sadly. And, you know, of course, the Lord Jesus challenged his disciples with the only thing he ever, he ever mentions as far as a prayer request. He says, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth labors into his harvest field. So we need workers to go out into the harvest field to take that gospel message. Because as he says, Paul says in Romans chapter 10, how will they believe, how will they exercise faith if they've never heard? And they need to hear the message. But we want to explore for a minute how God intends to subdue the enemy, the souls of men. The scripture tells us, the Lord Jesus tells us in John chapter 16, when referring to the coming of the Spirit of God into this world, he says he's coming to convict the world. And of, uh, among other things, he says, of judgment. And then he elaborates. Because the prince of this world is cast out. The prince of this world is judged. Praise the Lord. We're dealing with a God who will triumph against his enemies. Who has triumphed against his enemies. But we'd like to explore a little bit of that here in this passage. When it's interesting, this incredible prophecy that we often uh, refer to in Isaiah chapter 7. And of course, before long, uh, my wife is telling me that in Hobby Lobby they already have 
trees and decorations up and all that kind of stuff. It won't be long when we'll be singing about Isaiah chapter 7 and Isaiah chapter 9 where God fulfilled this prophecy. But it's interesting. We would have thought that this prophecy would have been given to Adam and Eve for hope, but instead this prophecy was made directly to the enemy of God. When God begins the process of judging what has happened here in the garden, He confronts the serpent and He tells them, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Oh, marvel of all marvels, God has triumphed. He will triumph, has triumphed against his foe. How will he do it? He will send a man. Man of very man. You know, it's awesome when we read the scriptures. We read in in Corinthians when it talks about death coming into the world. It says, by man came death. How will God overcome this? How will God overturn death? He says, and by man comes the resurrection of the dead. God has sent his man into this world. Speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ. I know that uh, some translations or some versions of your Bible will have that second reference to seed in capital letters. And that's done as we look back. We know that this promise was made concerning the seed. The seed for which God called Abraham from out of the nations. The seed that he promised to the patriarchs. That he created this mighty nation of Israel. That he raised up the house of David. And all this seed that was coming and narrowed down so that we can identify the seed. Speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ who was, as we said in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Born of a virgin, born of a maid. God come to be like us. And you know... Satan came to prove the Lord. Not just in Matthew chapter 4. The Lord Jesus tells us that he would engage Satan again. In John chapter 14 in verse 30 and 31, the Lord Jesus says, The prince of this world comes. The hour was approaching when the Lord Jesus was was going to execute that for which he came into this world. He was going to Calvary. He was going to climb Mount Calvary and he was going to surrender his hands so they might spike him there to that cross. And he tells his disciples as they're uh, going, leaving the upper room and going to the place that he was accustomed to pray where then Judas would lead the authorities, would lead the authorities of the temple to arrest the Lord Jesus Christ and he tells them the prince of this world is coming. But he has nothing in me. Oh, God will subdue the enemy. And he came and he subjected himself to all that the enemy sought to do to him. All that the enemy, you know, we were looking at those prophecies this morning, Daniel chapter 7, incredible things, soul thrilling things to know what God is going to do. That when we were in that garden, God is going to find a way to take us back there to paradise, the paradise that every one of us longs for, that this world embraces political ideologies and religious ideologies and all these other things to try to get back there, but they don't understand that the means by which we get back there is by this Savior. And Satan got a hold of that man whom God was going to redeem mankind by and sought to bury him in shame and ignominy 
and reproach and spittle and bloodshed and beatings and scourgings so that Satan might lift him up on top of Mount Calvary and, and, and suggest how can the future of the world possibly rest in this man who is crucified on this cross. And we were thinking about that this morning, weren't we? This is the power of God. This is the incredible work of God. And Satan took the Lord Jesus and energized those that did the things that were done to him there at the cross. All the while, Satan failing to appreciate that he was fulfilling everything that God had planned. And by lifting up that Savior upon that cross, it was fulfilled, the very words of the Lord Jesus, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the only pivotal person in all of human history, the Son of God. And we must all reckon with Him. And by the grace of God, by faith in Him, here in this life, otherwise, in perdition, we'll bow the knee to Him and declare He is Lord and yet be cast to a lost eternity. Be careful what you do with the Lord Jesus. But here is the only man, God took the only man that ever obeyed God completely. The only man. How unique is the Lord Jesus Christ? Because the scripture makes it clear, God lets us into what happened in eternity. That these things were ordained of God Himself. And yet, the Lord Jesus could say, Preserve me, O God, because I place my trust in You. Oh, the only one who ever had the love of the Father in His heart, fully and completely. Complete devotion unswerving devotion and when summoned to go to Calvary for rebels and sinners he would say not my will but thy will be done and that savior is the one that draws repentant sinners those that are cast down those that are hopeless and chained by the evil one by fear of death all our lifetime subject to bondage the scripture tells us Hebrews chapter 2 And could set us free. Oh glory to God. He has triumphed over his enemies. He has triumphed over his enemies. And so we've just explored a little bit about this entity. This spiritual agent that is terribly malignant. Some call him his satanic majesty. And we need to be ready. We need to be prepared. Because he will sift you as wheat. And the main concern, the main objective is your commitment, your devotion, and your stand upon the word of God. May we be people greater than those that God had called the people of Israel in in relationship to the word of God. When we read in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that they were commanded to talk about it along the way as they went. To teach it to their children. To write it on their doorposts. That the word of God was supposed to be central to the people of Israel. May we be even greater. May we excel in our devotion to the word of God. It's, it's of utmost importance. But we take heart. We take courage. Because in those moments where we fail. In, in a world that has been ravaged by the evil one. The son, the seed promise has come. The seed of the woman has come. He has crushed his head. And we've been brought in. By this gospel message, 
the apostle could write in Romans chapter 16, soon you will stamp on the serpent's head. You will crush his head and Christ has brought us into that. All glory be to our Savior. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time that we could set aside to think about the enemy. Think about the enemy who is working, who is powerful, who has been given power and gives power. Oh, our God, he is terrible and we we speak of these things uh, reverently, Heavenly Father. We just look to you. Keep us safe. Protect us. And Heavenly Father, help us to follow the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we too understand that uh, more important than our food and our money and the things that we possess, Father, even our health or our family and our loved ones, the primacy of the word of God. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Help us, we pray, Father. And we just give you glory and praise for you are triumphant. We just pray for any soul here who has never made the decision to trust that Savior who gave his life in fulfillment of what God had summoned him to do and raised again from the dead and can set us free because we no longer have to fear death. We can be free. May they come to Christ today who is alone worthy, our Savior. And we ask this in his precious name. Amen. Amen.